Welcome to What's Your Story Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Story. On this pod, I sit down with people of color leaders to understand how they've been able to use their superpowers to make an impact on our world. And I do it one story at a time. Today's guest on the pod is Lauren Scott, who's a TV producer. This is a great discussion because Lauren brings us into the experience of being a black woman TV producer and how that's actually changed a lot over the past year, given everything that's happened in our world and the overall industry's receptivity to telling more stories from the black woman perspective. But what I really thought was interesting is how Lauren's upbringing really played a role and how she found herself, found her voice. And she actually shares her superpower, which I thought was going to be storytelling, but it actually, she shares, is her self-awareness. And she speaks to the freedom that that gives her in being self-aware. And I think there's a lot that we can all take away from that and apply in our own lives. So with that, let's get on to her story. So today's guest is an experienced storyteller in her professional life and also her personal life. And, and we'll, we'll touch on a little bit of that. But we have actually surprisingly remained friends despite her love for Boston sport teams. So with that, I'd like to welcome Lauren Scott to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank, thank you for taking the time. And before we start getting into counting NBA championships between the Celtics and Lakers. I do want to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. And and can you share a story about your background or a story about what maybe little Lauren was like? Little Lauren, man, she was interesting. Grew up in Boston, of course, as your listeners probably gathered from your Celtics Lakers reference. I grew up at a time where outside was a thing. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Like I was active, like kids were active back then. And I was always on an adventure in my mind. Anyway, everything okay. was, everything was an experience for me, whether it was going outside, riding a bike, playing sports with my brother and my neighbors, you know, it didn't matter. Everything to me, I found adventure. I was very curious as a kid and I always asked a lot of questions. I was that kid. I always wanted to know things. I grew up in the city. I went to school in the suburbs. So I learned code switch Mm. early in life, early in life. And I think growing up in an environment where you are exposed to so many different things, you know, the Boston, Boston inner city back then was like, not a joke. It was we had everything from, you know, you had the drugs and the gangs and the, I, I was just on the phone actually the other day with this kid I grew up with and, you know, good, you know, his family, we've known them forever. And he reminded me that back in like 92 or 93, our church got shot up. Wow. Like during a funeral. Wow. The guys who, the guys tried to get someone else, they got the wrong guy and showed up to the funeral to get the right guy. You know what I mean? Like it was a wild time back then. So you had that extreme and then you're, you're going out to school in the suburbs where, you know, it's predominantly white. The houses are, you know, these kids have everything that they need in life, everything that they want. Mm-hmm. Resources are abundant. Yeah. And, you know, you're coming from the city and you're going out there and you're playing sports and you're 
hanging out with your classmates after school and then you're going back to the city. So it's like I had I had both both worlds and that played a big part kind of in, in how I grew into who I am now. But but as a kid, yeah, I was into everything. Yeah. Camps, sports, you name it. I was I was probably doing it. So thinking back to that time, did you have an idea of what you, you know, ultimately wanted to be when you grew up? Oh yeah. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't see myself being anything but a lawyer. Hmm. When I was younger, I used to watch my mom would have like Matlock on. Do you remember Matlock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, I was watching Matlock before I graduated to Law and Order, but I was too young to get it. I just remembered having that interest in like seeing mysteries solved mm-hmm. and like being being even just puzzles for me was a thing like solving puzzles. I was very much into the end result of like, how does this play out? How does this pan out? And law became a thing for me over time. I think part of that was, was my mom's influence. My mom was not an attorney, but my mom was a PI for the Commonwealth. And a lot of her job, you know, required her to be in working on cases and being in the courthouse and things like that. And by the time I got to high school, I was taking law classes for my electives and I took it very seriously, but but then there was a shift that kind of happened going into college, and I think part of it became like this internal ethical moral question that I would ask myself of like, oh well, if I were to pursue this track and one day defend a criminal and they're actually guilty, but I get them off, can I live with that? Or if you know, vice versa. And when I started to ask myself those types of questions. I wasn't sure that that was something I wanted to pursue anymore. And I just kind of left it alone. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really circle back to that. But I still, interestingly enough, watch tons of... I'm the person that watches the crime, anything. If there's yeah. a documentary on Netflix about a cold case, I'm there. I'm all in. Yeah. So yeah. I still have that little, you know, I still have that itch. But but yeah, that's what I thought I, I was going to be. Well, I'm sure it's the combination of the problem solving and the the storytelling that that pulls oh, you in. Sure. We'll we'll get into that in a few. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, you ended up at FAMU. Oh yeah. And we've had a, we've had a few illustrious FAMU alums on the show. So I'm yes, curious, the what led you to that decision coming from Boston, and you know how did that change your trajectory? As much as I want to sit here and say that I am a diehard Rattler, I always knew I wanted to go there. I had all these influences. That would be a lie for <laughs> sure. Fam was one of fam was one of many things that I just kind of fell into, if I'm being completely honest. My brother and I were part of Leaders of Tomorrow in high school, which for people who do not know, the NBMBAA has like a high school level mentorship leadership program, which is Leaders of Tomorrow. And both of us were in that program in Boston. And I was like secretary of our chapter. And so I went to the MBA conferences in high school. And so I was kind of exposed to this, you know, business culture, business world. My dad was in banking. My godfather was in management. My brother before me, you know, he was leaving high school and I was going into high school. He went, he went to Morehouse and my older cousin went to Virginia Union. So I was a little bit familiar with HBCUs, but Leaders leaders of Tomorrow led me to an HBCU college tour, hmm. which on the tour, when we got to FAM, a few of us were able to leave the group because 
one of our friends, her older brother was a student there. And so our parents allowed us to do like our little private school tour by, you know, leaving the group and hanging out with him for the day. Well, that turned into a totally different experience as you can imagine. (laughs) So, you know, we're on the set, we're walking around, we're seeing parts of campus. Our friends are not seeing on this tour. And that was like, Ooh, talk about you're coming from Boston. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're in Florida at a black college, which from a population perspective alone, the numbers are crazy. I'd never seen that many black people in an environment that was education based. Mm -hmm. The most black people I saw was in was around the way. You know what I mean? Like inner city Boston is black. A lot of people are like, oh, there's no black people in Boston. Boston is black. Hmm. But when you're talking about school, oh no. I was like, oh, this is crazy. I got it. You know, I have to go to HBCU. Have to. I didn't know it was going to be FAM, but FAM ended up having the School of Business program, the dual degree program. And I'm like, okay, my brother's in school for finance. I kind of one-up him. You know, I want (laughs) to one-up this dude because I mean, you know, sibling rivalry type stuff. I was like, well, let me go ahead and knock out two degrees at once. Why not? And it literally was one of those decisions of like, Hmm, okay, let's try this. And it wasn't until I was actually there that I kind of decided to stay. Okay. But that initial going was very off the cuff. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So fast forward through fam and mm-hmm. you you leave school. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the idea? What was what was the journey or the I should say the destination that you had in mind leaving that campus? Well, I made a contest with myself when I started. And I said, if you finish this in five years, because see, the gag is nobody really does. Hmm. At FAM, the SBI program was notorious for having you there for more than five years, because part of your graduation requirement was that you complete three internships. And most people did internships that exceeded four months. They would be like eight months or they did more than three or you know, they took summers off or whatever reasons most people were there beyond the five years. Mm -hmm. So part of my agreement with self was, if you do this in five years, you can take a break. Mm. And so at the end, it was like, we're we're knocking on the last semester. I'm taking like 12 grad hours, you know, (laughs) regretting regretting that moment. But for me, I was like, I made a contest with myself, like I'm doing this. And when I graduated, I took a, you know, it was like a breather for me. I didn't actually start kind of thinking through what I wanted to do until that point. And I have a fear of like cubicle life. I still do to this day. I do not want to be the person who, you know, lives at work, meaning home, work, home, work, routine, nothing strays from that. And that is your life until you retire. And so I remember there was a job fair and there were a couple of people there from this company called Accenture. (laughs) I didn't know Accenture was. I mean, I knew about consulting, but what I knew about consulting was like, you know, you work for this company, you go to other companies, you kind of tell them what to do, you keep it moving. I didn't know the ins and outs of Accenture, McKinsey and those guys. So when they were there, a couple of the guys that were there, two of them specifically were Morehouse grads. And because, you know, my brother went to Morehouse, 
I was chopping it up with them just on some, oh, my brother went there, blah, blah, blah. So by the way, what do you guys do? And when they explained to me that they get to fly around the country and go to these different clients and rack up hotel points and rack up <laughs> sky miles. And I'm like, this is it. You know? I'm like, oh, this is the move right here. I am going to do this because what you're telling me is I can get a good job. I can make a lot of money and I get all these benefits and yeah. I don't have to be in one place. Oh, sign me up. Yeah. I, when I say I went through that interview process, like so smooth, yeah. it was nothing. And I was, that's, and so that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, they, they try to figure out this like balance of, like you said, work life, work life, work life, mm -hmm. but it's hard and it's hard to actually get a, get a job that doesn't feel like work and it actually feels like you're living life. But I, I think as I look at your journey, you're someone that's actually lived that out and actually been able to do things you want to do. So one, I'm curious, would you agree with that? And then two, how have you been able to do that? I would agree to an extent for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I started out of consulting, but I'm a TV producer now. So there goes that. Yeah. And, and as you'd imagine, at some point, there has to be a shift in order to go from one to the other because they're pretty extreme. I look at work in kind of through two lenses, right? One lens is, am I doing something that I enjoy? And there are some other things that come along with it, right? Because you might be doing something that you enjoy, but not be getting paid a lot. Or you might be doing something that you enjoy, but you're sacrificing kind of like your social life or being able to hang out with your friends, you know, whatever the cost is. It's like, am I doing something that I enjoy? If the answer is yes, great. Keep doing it. Figure out ways to do more of that. Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, then is what you're doing going to ultimately help you do the things that you enjoy, hmm. whether it means like your job is the paycheck so that you can fund doing the things that bring you joy to give you the balance or, you know, so I look at it through, it has to, it has to be one of those two things. If yeah. I'm not doing something that I enjoy and it's not actually helping me do the things that I enjoy, that's all bad. Yeah. Nobody should be in that situation in my opinion. So I've always tried to make sure that I'm either doing one or the other in, you know, the, the kind of the jackpot is when you can do something that's both. Yeah. I've had a few, you know, I've had, I'd probably say I'm at like my third, I would say I'm in my third quote unquote career. Mm -hmm. And of the three, I think one has been extreme on the, am I doing something I like? One has been extreme on the it's affording me to do what I like. And then one has been right there kind of in that middle ground. Yeah. So, so speaking of intersection, you know, I, I do the thing where I try to look at your experiences and pull out the common thread and pull yeah. out like, what's the thing that you show regardless of the chapters being different or the, the seasons being different, what's the thing that was consistent. And so for me, you kind of set at this intersection of marketing, content, entertainment, and have been able to stitch those together and bring those forward across each chapter. So mm -hmm. what has been that experience like for you? And how have you been able to build those one on top of each other, you know, starting with consulting and making a, a shift in, in careers and making another shift in careers, how you've been able to carry forward some of those fundamental things to 
you know, add enrichment to those experiences, but still be kind of core of who you are and what you enjoy? Yeah, I think, I think that at the core of it, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. That has never changed. I've been a storyteller since I was a kid. It's kind of part of my being. And because that is such a natural part of who I am, it's not impossible for me to stray from that, but just like naturally I gravitate towards the things that allow me to tell stories. And I think that everyone is a storyteller and everyone has a story to tell. For me specifically, I just happen to be someone that going from one to another to another, I just use that as as my in, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for example, going from consulting into commercials, I started with commercials before I went into TV. The in was being a production supervisor hmm. because production supervisors manage the projects. So if you're coming from consulting, which is super corporate in very much a management position, the natural in somewhere else is going to be a management position. You know, you're, you're dealing with, you're managing people, budgets, vendors, all that stuff. I'm like, this is a cakewalk, mm -hmm. but it wasn't feeding my creative juices. I knew I got into the right field. Yeah. I wasn't in the right position. So I then needed to navigate some, but you know, it was like, okay, if in the consulting world, I'm going into these companies and I'm, and I'm helping paint the picture of why they need to adjust, I then go into the commercial world and I'm literally helping to put image to products and to help advertising companies bring imagery to the forefront. After that, it was like, okay, now that I'm in this world, where do I want to go within it? I yeah. knew I didn't want to stay on the production management side. I knew I also didn't want to stay in commercials because in commercials, unless you're on the ad side, you don't really have the creative input. You're more of, you know, your execution. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I got to, I got to make some moves here. Figured out how to get into the producing side in the producing side in uh, television. And then that kind of became my thing. That was my jam for a while. And, and then years of doing that kind of led me to the now what point, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily reach a ceiling, but I did reach a point of questioning what I was doing morally and ethically. So going back to kind of, you know, I, I talked about the earlier with the law thing, it happens in TV. Mm. And I think it happens in a lot of industries where you get to a point and you think to yourself, the bigger, what is the bigger picture here? If my existence in this world is to contribute to it and to leave behind a better place than when I came in, how am I contributing to this world in a good way if the content that I'm making is destructive? Hmm. And I started to ask myself that question on a deeper level. And I got to a point where I didn't like, I didn't enjoy and I didn't feel good about what I was producing. And I had to take hmm. a personal step back and say, it's fine to be a storyteller. It's fine to be a creative. You have to figure out how to do it in a way that feels good to you so that when you go to sleep at night, you, you sleep well. Yeah. And for me, it meant walking away from certain shows that although they gave me the background and they gave me the foundation 
that was necessary for everything that I'm doing today. They were not, they were shows that were eating me up from Mm -hmm. a spiritual perspective and like from a soul perspective, you know what I mean? And I very quickly went from like the crazy chaotic, like, you know, I'm I'm doing VH1 shows. I have security following me around. And then next thing you know, I'm on the other side of the pond, (laughs) you know, I'm on all these other countries and I'm filming with like Bourdain crews, you know what I mean? And then that just took it to a whole different level. So for me, it was like, when you hit these walls, you got to ask yourself, why am I hitting this wall? What do I need to change? Where do I want to go from here? And then you just have to like, keep navigating until you can make that shift. Yeah. So something we haven't touched on or haven't really brought into the discussion is how have you been able to navigate all of this as a black woman? And I'm sure that that has played a role in, as you said, hitting those walls, having those moments of reflection, having to understand, like, how am I contributing to be able to sit well with the things I'm doing? So I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear how your, how your experiences has been painted through the, through the view of being a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's a loaded one. I will say, overall, more challenges than I would like to have experienced, and and a lot of ugly experiences, and a lot of unfortunate realities of like, wow, this is this is what it's like when you get to this level. Yeah. Oh, this is what it means to be the one in the room. Hmm oh, this is what the conversation really is when you guys are looking at my Black colleagues and you're evaluating someone's ability to do their job, but you're not really evaluating that. You're evaluating other things. Those those types of, those moments for me are, are more common than I want them to be. And in the TV world, what gets tricky is that A lot of people think that you can just change the landscape of television, right? You hear it all the time. Well, like there just needs to be better content. There just needs to be, you know, we just need to see this. We just need to see that. But what a lot of people fail to realize is that it's not that easy, man. It's just not that easy to change what gets put on that screen. Like right now, my business partner and I, we develop shows, right? The sole purpose is not the sole purpose, but one of the main purposes is to tell better black stories. The other purpose is obviously to make money Mm -hmm. and to build our brands. And what we're seeing on the business side of this thing is the layers, you know, the red tape, Mm -hmm. the you're not even getting a meeting unless you're tied to an agent. It wasn't until we had agents and a whole legal team that we started getting indoors that you know, we didn't even know. <laughs> we're like, oh, we, we're we good. We're TV producers. We'll be able to get meetings. All we need to do is reach out to, you know, the development people that we worked for before. Like yeah. we've worked across, we've been doing this for years and years. We know enough people. Doesn't work that. It's not that easy, hmm. you know? And so, you know, with anything, it's like you can bring ideas to the table, but it doesn't mean like I'm not Oprah. I don't have my own <laughs> network. You know what I'm saying? I can't yeah. just crank out. I can't just crank out my own content and then put it on my own network. Yeah. And most people cannot do that. Yeah. So you are now having to tell a story 
And if it doesn't fit within the mandates, you know, every year there are mandates for what these networks are looking for. If it doesn't fit within the mandates, good luck. Cause they're not, people are not even checking for your stuff. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah, it's it, this as a black woman, I want to tell black stories. I want to tell stories that highlight women in our accomplishments, but also I'm in an industry that's still predominantly run by white men. Yeah. You know, I'm on pitch calls where, I mean, now after 2020, I think a lot has changed, right? Like we're two black female producers. Everybody wants a meeting with us now. Yeah. At the beginning of 2020, nah, we were getting meetings, but we weren't getting people like calling our agents, asking for meetings. We were getting meetings because they were reaching out on our behalf. Now we're getting meetings because people are like, oh, what else do they have? Yeah. Oh, what other ideas can they kind of tell us about? You know, so it's so I think, you know, society and the things that have happened and not for nothing, but I'm black. I'm a black woman. You know, the things that happened in 2020 that other people are surprised about and other races are yeah. surprised about. I, we've been look, we grew up yeah. Seeing with it. this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's not none of that is a surprise to me. But hey, now doors are opening. Now you guys want to hear our stories. Great. Let me let me bring some stories to you then. Yeah. And whether you're doing it out of guilt, whether you're doing it because, you know, you think this is the right thing to do in this moment, it's an, it's a door that's opening. Yeah. So I'm curious, how how do you how do you feel that mm-hmm. those calls are now coming the other way and the mm-hmm. doors are opening? Do you feel that it is uh, performative? Do you feel that it's uh, people kind of checking the boxes? Or do you truly feel that we're in a moment in time where there will be shifts, there will be that change, there will be that opportunity for these stories of Black women, these stories of people of color, these stories of women, you know, and all other identities that haven't been told will now be mm-hmm. told. Do you, do you feel like there's some optimism attached to this or is it just performative that we just need to give them a look because that's the flavor of the day? I think it's I think it's both. Okay. You know, I think that you do have look, businesses are run by people ultimately and and you know, as much as everyone wants in this ideal world to think that business decisions are just that they're actually people making decisions. Mm -hmm. And every day your life is a series of making decisions Mm -hmm. and it doesn't change when now you just have a company where you have multiple people that are having to make decisions on a daily basis working together. Right. So these production companies and, and, and networks and everything, they're just, they're people there. So you have some people who believe that it's time for things to change. And you have some people that truly want to see diverse content. And you have some people that really value the untold stories. But then you have some people who don't. And you don't know who's who, right? But on paper, right now, they all have the same goal. That being to tell diverse stories And either it's because they want to or they have to. I won't know necessarily the difference just from having a meeting with them. But if that meeting can lead to one more story being told, and then that meeting lead to another meeting where that meeting leads to one more story being told, 
And then one more story being told leads to another story being told. Then what we're doing is we're creating a, a path and we're creating kind of like this bigger picture. And it doesn't necessarily matter how it started if we can keep it going. Yeah. And I think for me, that's the important part is whether you gave me an opportunity because you felt like you had to, or because you wanted to, I'm taking the opportunity Yeah. because this is bigger than me. Yeah. And, and if I get caught up in, you're only doing this because you had to, then I'm missing the window for me to say, it's not even about you. Yeah. I don't care if you, if you did this because you had to, we're doing this and now we're moving this story forward and then other people are going to see it and it's about the exposure. And then there's going to be some, some, you know, younger black child somewhere watching this content. You you saw black Panther. You saw what that did. People are seeing content. They need to see the content. I don't care how it got there. Yep. Yep. You know? Yep. I hundred percent agree. Uh, so I, I could go deep, deep into that topic, and maybe I'll save that for a, a round two uh, pie. Sure. But I want to switch to the the brand of Lauren and get okay. into more of, more of your story. And so I, I truly, the first words that come to mind when I think of you are storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I mean that not only from a professional sense, but I, I can I can actually recall when we first met, it was, <laughs> it was literally like, Okay, I'm Lauren. And then like you probably went into a story and, and like literally it was just like this <laughs> this person is definitely hilarious and always wraps it in some form of uh, a story oh, that happened God. or that's about to happen. So I'm curious, what what would you say is would you say storytelling is your superpower? And if not, what would your superpower be? No, I no storytelling is not my superpower, but it is. Mm. It's, I just it's something I naturally do. I think my superpower is self awareness. Honestly, um, that's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, and it's a heavy one. Yeah. The thing about being self aware is that, and the reason why I consider it a superpower, I'll get to in a second. Self awareness for me gives me freedom because. If I'm honest with myself throughout my journey and in my life in general, then I then other people can't like control you as much, right? Because you know who you are. Mm-hmm. When you're self-aware, you have like a certain level of confidence about yourself. And it allows you to be confident and vulnerable because when you, for example, make a questionable decision, you can go through that process of why did I do that? Yeah. Like what drove what drove me to make that decision? What lesson did I learn? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it's like somebody asking you, well, how did you contribute to the problem? If you can look in the mirror and you can figure out what you did, then then you're preventing yourself hopefully from doing it again if it was something that you didn't that you shouldn't have done. But if it was something great, then then you're you're putting there like this memory, almost like a, a trigger that fuels you. And you know, like, okay, I've done this before. I can do it again. Or, okay, this worked last time. Let me make this adjustment this time. Those types of things for me come from self-awareness. And there's no way that I would have been able to kind of navigate my life to this point without the confidence that comes from really knowing myself. Yeah. 
So I think for me, that is my superpower. Yeah, that's, that's one that's a, you, you raise something interesting because it's almost like self-awareness is the tree and the branches off of that are confidence. The branches off that are leadership, vulnerability, decision-making. Like there's other things that come off of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you have that core self-awareness, you're able mm-hmm. to go and take it to other things. And so how, how have you developed that as your superpower? And if someone were thinking about, Ooh, I need to up my game in self-awareness, what would you recommend? Wow. What a question. How it developed. I don't know. I don't know. I maybe just life experiences. And, you know, I think it's, I think when something happens a couple of times, you pause. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a kid, if you keep falling off your bike, at a certain point, you're going to be like, hold up, (laughs) (laughs) hold up. This concrete doesn't feel good. Like what, how do we stop this from happening? I don't want to keep getting hurt. Mm -hmm. You stop for a second and you're like, at at a very basic level, what happened? I fell. Okay. Why the fall? And if your life is just a series of experiences, i.e. falling off your bike, that happens over time, you just naturally start to go through this evaluation process. I'm also a Virgo, so we tend to be a little bit analytical naturally anyway. But I think that's all. I think it's just over time, evaluating the things that I've gone through and when I've been disappointed in the outcomes, trying to figure out, man, like, damn, how did this go left? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how did this not work out. In my head, it made sense. In my head, you know, that was the natural step forward. Why didn't it work? Something, something's off here. And it probably, you know, it could have just been like, oh, you weren't thinking about this or you weren't thinking about that. And there are factors that come into why things work out the way that they do, even when you have a plan, Mm. you know, it's like, you can, you can think that your journey is going to be straight road to CEO. And then something happened when you reach VP that you didn't see coming. And all of a sudden your track is just off. Like you, you can have a full plan and it not work. So I I just, maybe just evaluating myself over time is how I've come to that point. I think everybody should try therapy, you know, for what it's worth. I think we all, if you're here (laughs) and you're breathing, you got, there's something you can talk about yeah. with somebody. And I think just going through that process at some point, you know, for me, it was after my father passed that I, that I chose to kind of like try to figure some things out and talk through some things. But I think everyone should try that. And I think that that helps you really understand yourself and kind of talking with another person to understand what your decision process is naturally helps you kind of look at things through a different lens moving forward or look at it things through a different lens if you're, you know, trying to figure out where where something went wrong in your past, either way. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. This came up in a interview I think last season, whether it's therapy or coaching or or other sources of kind of that that ability to put a mirror up to yourself. What's what's really beneficial is like it allows you to connect with someone that's not vested in the outcome. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we sit with people that while they may not be, you know, completely pushing us in one direction, but they have an opinion, you know, whether that's your your family, that's your friends, that's your coworkers, whoever, but in therapy or, you know, in coaching or other things, it, it allows you to actually sit with someone that, 
you know, I, I don't care if you take the job. I don't, I don't, I don't care mm-hmm. if you, if you, you know, don't make it to CEO. I don't care if you do this. Like I'm, I'm just here to be that mirror to you. So I, I think that is important. And then the, mm-hmm. the other thing you, you definitely hit on something that is a hypothesis I came into this season with, but it's being validated over and over and over through these conversations in that your lived experiences produce the superpower. And oh, yeah. Whatever you went through, and you know, to use a phrase, one of my uh, homeboys, uh, B Rob, your been through is just as important as your breakthrough, and mm-hmm. that been through is where you actually refine and get the superpower to the point where you can actually point at it and you can name it and you can say, "This is a mm-hmm. thing that makes me unique. This is the thing that makes mm-hmm. me successful." So that's a, again, I, I think it's important for people to not look at your history as it's just history, but actually look at it as this is what actually refined and made you who you are to show up the way you can show up uniquely you. So, Oh, absolutely. You don't just, (laughs) everything, again, this whole, your life is just daily decisions. Everyone affects the next one. Mm -hmm. You might not think it does, but it does, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's, yeah, you can't, you can't ignore your past. You, you're even before you, your family's history is important, you know? So yeah, everything, everything plays a role to some degree. Now how big and how significant is different, but yeah, for sure. Experiences definitely. So, so speaking of family, Mm -hmm. have you had a mama, we made it moment? (laughs) Yeah. I guess it depends who you ask, right? Well, we, like we asked Mama. I, <laughs> I, yeah, no. Listen, if you ask my mom, I've made it a long time ago. My mom, <laughs> everything is, you know, she parents are just they they're so proud, you yeah. know. I wouldn't ask her because she would she would say anything. <laughs> I do not think that I have had that particular moment yet. However, <laughs> I do recognize. I have done some things that if I look back, sure, they've paved the way for someone else. They've been more significant than I realized in the moment. They have been small wins that have catapulted me to a different place. I've had those. I just don't think that I personally have gotten to that point yet where I can say, I'm here. Yeah. Well, I, I think just the simple fact that you reference you're not Oprah lets me know the scale with which your your mama we made it moment will need to I'm be. I'm coming for <laughs> listen. I got listen. Oprah, Ava, Shonda, listen. Gotcha. I've I've been I've been listening to Shonda's masterclass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I'm gonna close out with a little bit of fun. Okay. When, and and this will be interesting given given your s- unique set of skills. Mm. When they turn your life story, or I should say, when you turn your life story into a movie, <laughs> who's going to play you on the big screen? Ah. Wow. I've been asked this before, and I don't remember what answer I gave before, but I'm pretty sure I did not give this one. I think I'm going to roll with, hear me out on this one. Okay. Just, I think I'm going to roll with like Zoe. Hmm. Okay. There's something about Zoe. The vibe I get from her is that she has that good balance of like super chill, 
but like can do things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that I'm chill, but if I need to, I can turn it on and make it happen. Yeah. That's the vibe I get from Zoe. I I do believe that there is something innate in me that when I feel like my back's against the wall, and it's not even that anybody puts me in any type of corner, but I put myself there sometimes so that I can trigger that instinctual ability to go. Like mm-hmm. I hit go mode. And it's almost like I have trained myself to go from oh, okay, we're coasting to like go yeah, and go now. Yeah. In 2020, I mean, the pandemic, I spent a lot of time working with my business partner just in like constantly working. And a lot of people were, oh, what are you up to? Working, How? like we're all working inside. What are you talking about? Like you're yeah. not, you know, for me, it was like, no, this is perfect. Yeah. The world is standing still. What are you talking about? Oh, I have, I don't have to miss any social functions. <laughs> I'm up all night. Oh yeah, I'm working on a pitch deck. I'm working on this. I'm reaching out to this person. We're having, you know, talent zooms and skypes, and we're cutting footage, and we're like, it was go time. Yeah. And all that preparation in pitch meetings that we just have recently, we have like, you know, contracts coming out of that. We wouldn't even been in place to have those meetings if we weren't in go mode. Yeah. So yeah, having that kind of like that trigger. And I think I think Zoe for me is a person that I feel like she has that. Yeah. 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 So what song would play in the trailer of your movie? <laughs> oh no, that's a crazy question. <laughs> uh, that's an impossible question. Not for somebody like me. Music is like <laughs> Music is almost as core to me as storytelling, honestly. Uh-huh. I, I don't do anything without music playing. And I mean, like right now I don't have it on because that would be rude. But, <laughs> you know, I, uh, Matt, why that question? Okay. Here, can I give a couple? Can I give a couple of sure. answers? Sure. All right. So one song, and it's not, <laughs> none of the words actually are why I'm picking this song, but it's like the beat does something to me. There's a song called Warning Sign by Coldplay. And mm. that song, you get into the zone. I don't, I do. And and I'm sure if anybody goes and list, looks that song up right now and listens to it, they're going to be like, this girl's tripping. Um, Finally by Brandy. <laughs> I'm very quickly going to move to the next okay. one. Finally by Brandy. There are a couple J songs that just, I mean, immediately get me going. I don't know. That's tough, Matt. I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable giving an answer to that. There are just many options. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe I'll have to think about it from a soundtrack perspective versus just the song. Yeah, you got to get more than one song. That's tough. Give you more options. All right. Right. So I do the podcast because I just enjoy hearing people's unique stories, unique experiences. But for you, if you could sit with Mm -hmm. three people, they could be with us, they could have passed and hear Mm -hmm. their story firsthand, who would your three people be? The first one is my great great uncle. That one is is fresh on my brain because I was just looking at his will the other day. So my family and I, I was in Boston last summer for like a month. And originally I was only supposed to be there for like three or four days. And pandemic, why not? Stayed for almost a month. And we were working on our family tree. I'm very interested in in the history of my family specifically. 
my mother's side of the family. And my mom and my uncle, they have everything, documents and pictures and obituaries and they have all the stories and I was blessed enough to be able to sit with them and just take it in, you know, mm. and just hear about my family's history. And my great, great uncle is amazing. And he's someone who did so much to get my family situated to create opportunities for people. And I, I would just want to learn more about him and from him of kind of like where his mind was at and, and how he decided on doing different things. I mean, we're talking 1950s. This guy has a white CPA hmm. and owns multiple brownstones on Mass Ave hmm. and owns farm, you know, a farm in Alabama and, and has money in his will to families in Texas that aren't even connected to our family. Wow. You know what I mean? Like there was just so much there that I would want to talk to him for sure. Oh, I got to talk to Harriet. You know, I... We were just, I was in St. Kitts in February with my friends, a couple of my friends, and we were talking about this and I mentioned her. I for sure want to have a sit down with her because I have so many questions, mostly like, how'd you just keep going? Yeah. Like, like that had to, that, the toll that doing something like that I'll say for the culture, right? Doing yeah. something like that for the culture, yeah. you changed the game. You literally changed the entire traje trajectory of Black people. Yeah. Not like your family, not your woes. Like you changed <laughs> it. You changed the game for everybody. Yeah. I got to talk to her. Third person, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think about that. But off top, those two certainly I think would be amazing conversations. I think that they would give me fuel for sure. I think whenever you talk to somebody that can can give you a glimpse into why they did something that you think is, you know, bigger than life, you naturally have that that gas, yeah. like you got the battery in your back at that point. Yeah. So, so those two for sure. And I just, I don't know about the third. I'd have to get back to you on that. All right. So you, you really set yourself up nicely for that follow-up pod by, you know, get, leaving some of these questions out there. Uh, the one thing that I thought of when you were, you were talking about your family and kind of looking back at the family tree. And, and I don't know if you guys did this or if you're thinking about it, but I would get all that like saved and recorded because mm. the thing that, I am trying to do, at least with my like, you know, immediate family circle, is I want to put everything in the cloud. I want I want to I want to hear these stories. I want to get them down because, mm -hmm. you know, I even think about some of the things that I've already forgotten and and the things mm -hmm. that happened in my lifetime that I haven't documented and whatnot. And so that's that's a big push. I'm pushing on everybody of like, let's get our elders, let's get our parents, mm -hmm. let's get, you know, anybody that has a story that is you know, something we want to take with us into future generations, we got to, mm -hmm. we got to get it saved and, and stored. And it can't just be something you share with me. And I'm like, oh, that's a great story. I want to mm -hmm. record it. I want to write it down. I want to document it. I want to take pictures. I want to mm -hmm. back it up. And so I don't know if you guys have already started that, but I would, I would offer that as a, you know, something to consider as you're, you're having those great connections and, and discussions.
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we we there are a lot of things that are tangible that we have. The stories themselves, now a lot of them live in my head. Unfortunately for me, most of my elders have passed, you know, on my mom's side, it's just my mom left. On on my dad's side, you know, I have a series of of aunts, cousins and and things, but from an elder's perspective, you know, we're not here forever. Yeah. And as we get older, they get older. So, so, you know, you're right on that. And, and my other advice to the listeners, if you haven't even kind of looked into the tree, never mind getting it documented, but like, it's a really, really dope exercise, man. There yeah. is, there is something super powerful about getting the knowledge and, and learning about where you're, where you come from. Even if you can't go back as far as some other people, you know, I mean, I can go yeah. back, we can go back how many, six, six generations, I think at this point, before we hit wow. like slave in Virginia, I think is, is as far as we can go yeah. back. But, you know, even if you can only go back a few, it's worth it. It's just worth it. And yeah. on top of that, you learn like the sacrifices that people made before you so that you can really, really understand that your life is not like to be played with. People did things yeah. so that you could be here living the life that you're living. People sacrificed things so that you could have more. People people put their lives on the line for you to be out here having Sunday brunch with your girls, you know? <laughs> like the people people went through a lot yeah. to make sure that we are here in in living a more comfortable. I mean, we have challenges for sure, but imagine being here back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah you got to gotta learn that history. It's really important. Definitely. Before I let you get to that, you know, brunch and the social outings, is there anything I didn't ask that you want to share mm-hmm. or anything you want to ask me? I think I understand the why you do this, but I would be interested after having done this for, you know, but two seasons now, what mm-hmm. it is that, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself in this process and what's kind of Hmm. the end goal? Hmm. So it's a, it's a great question. I think the, the first question is probably the easier one. The thing I've learned about myself is just that I am a email, a text, a DM away from some excellent people. And in one hand, I'm like, man, I had all these people I could tap into to learn so much from that I didn't until now. But on the other hand, it's like, but I know now that I have these people in my in my circle and I can call on them when I need that enrichment, when I need that inspiration, when I need that, you know, focus on something that I just don't know anything about. And so th- that's that's probably been the the first one. And 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 actually having it played back to me by people that are listening to say, I, I'm amazed by how many people you know that are doing this and doing that. And like nobody, obviously nobody's story is the same, but just the diversity of lived experiences in addition to expertise has has just been been phenomenal. The end goal, I would say, is still TBD. I I I know that I'm learning. I know mm-hmm. that I'm creating conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise, but I still am figuring it out. Like I'm making tweaks this season that I didn't do last season. I'm sure that once I get through, I get to 75, 100 episodes, I'll make some more tweaks. I get, you know, I get to 150, 200, I'll make some more tweaks. And so for me, this is an organic thing. It's living, it's breathing. It's kind of ebbing and flowing. And 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking now about what are some upcoming milestones that I want to capture or what are some upcoming conversations that I want to capture? So I, I don't, I don't really have an, an end goal. I think for me, as long as I'm able to amplify the excellence of the people I'm speaking to, and I'm able to create conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise, then I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and I'm going to keep making time. I'm going to keep reaching out and and having the discussions. But yeah, we'll we'll see where the where the end goal. You know, if it moves, as it changes, as as we get we get through, you know, the next year or so of this. I hope those listeners just got that gem that you dropped, and I don't even think that you realized that you dropped it. But that but that idea of it's all you're always evolving. Mm-hmm. Something's mm-hmm. always shifting. It's always the, you don't know what one thing can lead to. You just 100%. have to, you just have to trust yourself to just keep going yeah. and whatever, whatever the path is like, you know, we've talked about my journey, whatever the path is, you just go, you just have to trust yourself, man. Trust yourself that you're doing great work and you, sir, you are doing phenomenal work. Thank you. I, for one, appreciate that you felt that I was worthy of <laughs> coming onto this podcast. That says a tremendous about, about me that I don't even know that I've recognized. So touche to you. Now nah, this That's is off to you. No, nah, no. Thank you for taking the time. You know, this is my opportunity to give people their flowers and calling on people to share their stories. And again, like I say, the first word that comes to mind for you is storyteller. So when I, when I think of the stories I want to hear and I think stories I want to share, <laughs> you, you, you're definitely on, on the list. So, uh, and as I said, you, you set yourself up nicely for, for a follow-up. So I had to, had to get round two <laughs> scheduled and, and go from there. But again, appreciate you taking the time sharing your gems and your lived experiences with everyone. And uh, pr- hopefully you continue to have great success and continued uh, growth as you go through your journey. But listen, amen. Praise be to that <laughs> <laughs> in advance. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for listening to this episode of What's Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform, or you can follow me on any social media platform at Maddie Story, and I'll keep you updated on new episodes. Also, if you're interested in learning more about some of the things I'm up to, head over to mattestory.com and sign up for my newsletter. And lastly, do me a favor, share this with one other person in your network that you think might enjoy it. And don't forget to keep sharing your story.